0: Hey there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of t for c If you're a history major and you have no clue what to do with your degree, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest, Majored in American history, went into stand-up comedy, and after several years of that world, ended up reading a book that inspired her to build a business around the soup that her mom used to make when she was growing up. But before I introduce you to Sarah Pollen, also known as Supergirl, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays to give you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. Now, my minestrone-loving macchiato drinkers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Sarah Pollan, whose career path after graduation zigged and zagged all over the map. It included working at an internet startup leading tours through the Middle East and eventually included four years as a stand-up comic in New York City. Then in 2008, after reading Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, Sarah founded Supergirl. Along with her mom, Marilyn, who's known as Super Mom as well as being the Chief Anxiety Officer, And by sourcing seasonally from local farmers, Supergirl is able to make a wide variety of healthy, kosher, all-natural vegan soups that can be found all over the East Coast. You can also find Supergirl products at the company's two D.C. area retail locations and at Whole Foods stores from Kentucky through Virginia, at Giant Food, at Little, that's spelled L-I-D-L, at Wegmans, Peapod, and Costco Warehouse from Massachusetts sits down to Washington, D.C. The company also ships soup nationwide via their Super Meals program. Supergirl has received national press and has been featured in publications like The Washington Post, Food and Wine, O Magazine, and was most recently seen on ABC's Shark Tank, on NBC's Today Show, and CBS's The Dish. Now faster than a turbo shot of espresso, more powerful than a Vitamix blender, able to leap enormous vats of soup in a single bound. Look, everyone, it's Supergirl. Sarah, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go?
1: I'm ready. I wish I could get an intro like that more often. I will give it to you
0: (laughs) every single time, my friend. (laughs) So the most important question, Sarah, how quickly can you chop an onion?
1: Oh, I'm good. I mean, I can just do that. No tears. 15 seconds.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. And is that diced or is that just sliced? That's diced. Dang. I have my secret. So let no (laughs) one say you have not cultivated skills over the last 12 years. Correct. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to let you know that as a Washingtonian, I have been enjoying Supergirl soups for years. And I have even been to your store in downtown DC. And it is such a pleasure to get to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, Sarah, and say that When you were a little girl growing up in the Pollen family, you did not dream that one day after you got your Ivy League education, you would go into the food business, let alone the soup business, with your mom.
1: That is correct. You know, it's funny you say that. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I used to say I wanted to be a comedian and an artist. An artist because my mother is very artistic and I am very close with her. And the comedian because I always loved making people laugh. So in theory, I knew that and it was, it was great that I got to do that. But in terms of a profession, well, that didn't end up working out and it's easier said than done. But in terms of a career path, a profession that's not in the entertainment world, no, I had absolutely no idea. And in fact, I remember sitting with some of my friends. We were hanging out in our house the last night. It was the night after graduation of college. And a lot of us were really freaked out. It's pretty stereotypical, but we were really freaked out about what we were going to do. And I said to someone, I wish we could fast forward 10 years and just see what becomes of us because none of us had any idea. And everyone's doing well. Many people took the career path that we thought they would, and others, total, total opposite. And I think I'm the most bizarre one from that conversation back in 1999, sitting around on the floor of someone's bedroom talking about what the heck we were going to do.
0: Well, that is one of many, many reasons that I wanted to start this podcast Because I hope that our young listeners will be able to take comfort from your story and from my story and from the story of hundreds of other Time for Coffee guests that most of us had no clue. And guess what? It's all good. It really is because life after college is a journey. And in fact, in college, it's a journey too. And half of the process is the zigging and zagging. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone should be expected at age 21 to know what they want to be when they grow up, (laughs) to put it mildly. And if we can learn to enjoy that zigzag and that journey, life becomes a lot more fun.
0: And I think half of it is as well that it's the people that we end up meeting along the way, the experiences that we end up having along the way that influence what we want to be in that next chapter. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. So when you graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1999, what was your first job and how did you get it, Sarah?
1: (laughs) I went home with no job and was just kind of hanging out. And I saw an ad in the wanted section of the Washington Post. Because remember, when I graduated, there wasn't Facebook. The internet was, it was 1999. It was booming. So I graduated in the height of the dot-com boom, but there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't any of that. People were just beginning to figure it out. And there was quite literally an ad in the post. And I thought I'd fit in in an entrepreneurial atmosphere and a startup atmosphere, because I love the energy, and I love creativity, and I love working in a team and staying up late and getting stuff done. And I kind of had this vision that that's what it would be like. So I replied to an ad and it ended up being Blue Mercury, which has gone on to wild success. But that was my first job. And it was It was very hard, but it was a lot of that of staying up late, working weekends, building this business, and it didn't end up working out in the long run, but it was still fascinating and definitely not in the field I thought I'd be in because it's a beauty company and I'm more of an outdoorsy kind of crunchy you know, girl, so, you know, and then after a month or two, I was giving all of my friends moisturizing advice and makeup advice, which was kind of like being in the twilight zone for a while, but it was a blast.
0: So what was your job then after Blue Mercury and how long were you there?
1: I was there for, I think like six months and then I waitressed because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I wanted to dabble in writing and I wanted to travel and I wanted to recover actually, because it really was brutal in terms of the hours and just the stress. It was very hard. And so I waitressed because I needed to pay my rent and I wanted to do something a little different. And so I waitress for a while, like a year. And then I started, I, I, I got a job in another startup. This one, a little bit more traditional And it was in an office and, again, a startup atmosphere, but there was more structure in place. And I grew very close with the founders, and they saw after a few years, maybe two years, I was getting a little itchy. I was getting a little antsy going into an office. That's not what I wanted to be doing. And so they let me move to New York to pursue stand-up comedy, and I worked from home while pursuing stand-up comedy. So then I found a place on Craigslist And did stand-up comedy for many years in New York while working for this business. And then that business ended up changing hands. And then a friend of mine started another business, the travel company. And so then I started working for him. Again, working from home, supporting my comedy habit. That business really started taking off. And I was traveling a ton, which was great. And then he wanted to move back to D.C. So I ended up leaving New York, moving back to D.C. to help grow this business. And I got ANSI again. And I realized through all of this, one of my biggest issues, the overriding theme is that I don't like working for other people. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I have problems with authority. And also, I want to do something that I really, really believe in, which can sound trite. But for me, with my personality, I just realized if I wasn't fully on board and bought in for me, again, this is my story. This isn't necessarily the ticket to happiness for everyone. But for me, I needed to do something that I was all in on. And the only way I was going to be all in 100% on something is if I did it myself. And so that's how I got the impetus to
0: launch Supergirl. So how and why did you end up in the food world? (sighs) Naivete, I would say number one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did read that book by Michael Pollan, but really what happened was I just started paying attention to the impact that food had on my health and the health of the planet. And I started, A, realizing when I was getting antsy at my job, it was a rough time for me. I was not happy. I wasn't doing the things I wanted to be doing. My energy level was low. I wasn't feeling healthy. And I was able to start pulling myself out of that. There were a number of means, but a lot of it was exercise and really paying attention to what I was eating. And then I really started investigating. And I had never been one to pay that much attention to food. Remember, this was 2000 at the time, 2007, 2008, the whole concept of vegan and local and all of that was really just beginning to take off, barely. And I started paying attention and I started talking to people and I started talking to my mom and I realized I wanted to get involved. I wanted to be a part of this movement that was clearly beginning to take off. And so we did some brainstorming. We thought maybe we'd make ice cream. But the only thing we really know how to do with ice cream is to eat it, uh,
0: and then a friend I'm pretty of mine, good at that too. Yeah,
1: yes. And then a friend of mine pointed out that my mom makes really good soups. And in fact, my mom had been feeding us soup our whole lives. And when I lived in New York, she and my dad would come up and visit and pack coolers of soup, and I would just put them in my freezer, and that's all I ate. I mean, I don't know what other people eat. I just live on soup, and it's a great way. I realized to incorporate all the amazing seasonal local produce here into food you know you have totally different recipes throughout the year so in january february we're cooking sweet potato soups and chilies and warming starchy heavy soups very healthy but what's in season right now it's it's our starchy vegetables it's our sweet potatoes our carrots our beets our root vegetables things like that in the summer, we make chilled gazpachos with tomatoes and cucumbers. We cook zucchini and corn. And so we're able to to cook this wide variety of food and really start living these values. And I just was so energized. And people responded. We started off just doing delivery to people's homes and offices. We rented kitchen space, the now defunct Spanish restaurant, just kept growing and growing and opened retail fronts and then entered Whole Foods and then Costco and now shipping. And it's just the demand is there. And so a lot of it was just the right timing. I happened to read a book. I happened to be at that place in my life. It wasn't something I planned. But once I decided, I went all
0: in. I want to pick up on the fact that you read Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, what you just referenced there. And for those who may not be familiar with it, it is a critique of American agribusiness and also of Americans' poor eating habits. And while many took it as a wake-up call to change the food they ate, I'm guessing, Sarah, that the vast majority of those who've read the book over the years did not see it as a call to action to change their careers. (laughs) What was your vision in those early days? And what was it about the seasonally, locally sourced ingredients that was so important to you?
1: I used to be one of those people that thought farmer's markets were cute. I didn't realize what these farmers were trying to do. And when I saw people dedicating their lives to creating a better food system, I was so inspired. I was so inspired. And also, you have to understand that, again, it ties into that I need to be doing something that I'm totally bought in on. And I've done all kinds of different things with my life. But when I read that book, and I really started investigating, I actually, I remember being on a plane and reading that book and putting it down and kind of looking around the plane and being like, does everybody know this? This is insane. What we're being fed, the lies we're being fed, why we're so unhealthy why we have this obesity epidemic, why we rely on pills and everything. By the way, I go to doctors. I'm not saying you shouldn't appreciate Western medicine. I'm I'm just saying a lot of our ailments, ours and the planet's, can be solved through a totally new approach to food, or I wouldn't call it new. I would say going back to basics. How we got so far removed from our food is astonishing. And if we could all get back to connecting with our food, I needed to be involved in that. Because the other thing is, we're a kosher company. And it's important to me because I'm kosher. My family's kosher. But what does kosher mean? And I'm a vegan, so one would think, oh, it's very easy to be kosher. But actually, the root of the laws of being kosher are all about connecting to your food. It's about getting to know your food, being grateful for it, and acknowledging where it came from. And so all of this kind of came together for me. And I had to do it. I had to get involved.
0: Well, first of all, you are totally preaching to the choir. Because I have been a student of functional medicine for probably as long as Supergirl has been around and believe 100% that food is medicine. Good food Mm -hmm. is medicine. And the flip side, processed food is poison. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I totally, I'm feeling your vibe there. I also think what you've just laid out in terms of your own journey, Sarah, is very typical. We don't all land on what speaks to our soul at age 21. right? Most of us don't. And that is why the zigging and zagging and the journey, the professional journey is something to embrace and not to feel that Somehow or another, you've failed when that first two or three or five jobs aren't really lighting your fire. You just haven't found it yet. Right. And that's okay.
1: I mean, I didn't have my aha moment until I was 30, 31, something like that. And Even then it took me a while and that's okay. It's also okay if you don't figure out the passion that fuels you every day via your job. If you find passion and contentment outside work and work is a means to enjoy life and you find a career that gives you the life that you want, that's okay too. And you can, you can change careers as long as you have a goal and that goal might be, I want to go on a meditation retreat and afford to go on a meditation retreat for two weeks every year and that's all I want in life, okay, great, awesome. You can find a good job to do that. If you want to start a business where your goal is to spread meditation, okay, do that. But there is no prescription. There's nothing. There are no rules that
0: dictate what you have to do in terms of your career path. Amen. <laughs> so how did you come up with Supergirl, the hero who brings fresh, locally sourced soup to the masses?
1: Well, I had a lot of friends. I talked to a lot of friends in the beginning. And I was actually on a hike with my parents. And I came up with that name. And and they said, no, no, it's too cutesy. My dad wanted to call it Sarah's Local Soup. (laughs) And then I was like, I I can't even describe all the things wrong with that. And my brother wanted to call it Rock Creek Soup Company. And my friends in New York asked if I was starting a construction business. And I just knew. I I had this vision of Supergirl. And I, I just knew it in my gut. And I was like, I'm doing this. And I think that that name has been key to a lot of our success because there's really nothing else out there. And when you talk about the journey, like we're going through a rebrand right now and really we're embracing Supergirl even more. The logo, the superhero, we haven't done it enough. So even within this business, we're constantly on a zigzag journey, figuring out who we are, what does Supergirl want to be? What do we stand for? How are we communicating that? And so it's just journey after journey, lesson after lesson. We still stay focused on our goals. And that's being a mission-oriented business that's helping make the food system better.
0: Wonderful. Now, in terms of timing of when you started Supergirl, this was 2008. Mm-hmm. Wasn't this the height of the global financial crisis?
1: Oh, yeah. I had a lot of people <laughs> say, what are you doing? <laughs> But it didn't at the time cost me that much money to start it. And I honestly was at a point in my other job where I I mentally couldn't do it anymore. I was so stuck. I was not feeling well. I was mentally, emotionally, physically. It's just when you realize you are doing something you don't want to be doing and you continue to do it, it takes a toll. And I also figured, well, people are going to need soup because you are going to need a lot of comfort. <laughs> and it didn't take much to start it because we rented kitchen space. We didn't have to build out anything. The biggest expense was the website. So I started the business with $12,000 of my savings. I, I was a meticulous saver in my 20s. And so I had money in my retirement account and just in a savings account. And so it didn't take much to launch. And it very quickly, we got some press because people were interested in what we were doing. A Jewish mother and a former stand-up comic cooking soup and delivering to your house with ingredients from local farms. It's like, that's that's an interesting story. So we got press and very quickly we became profitable. And I was able to support myself and grow the business. Now, I won't say that's been the case the entire time as we've grown, but I didn't have a choice. So the markets were crashing. I just had to do it. I also by the way I also knew I still had waitressing skills so if it didn't work I could always go back to waitressing which I love doing and you can make very good money doing that so
0: I love that because it shows how scrappy you are no pun intended of course <laughs> wow. so Sarah one of the things that you do in your newsletter and I know that because I've been subscribing to Supergirl for years oh, wow. is yeah is to make up funny little stories about the soups you're selling. In fact, I just read your newsletter on Monday, (laughs) and I saw in this week's edition, and we're in mid-December as we record this, you've got a soup called The Prettiest Red Lentil (laughs) East of the Mississippi. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How did you come up with that name? So... When
1: I started the business, I wanted to bring back my comedy. I really miss performing. And so I wanted to bring back my funny bone and infuse the brand with humor. And obviously calling it Supergirl is a good way to start. And I just started writing these stories. And I would post them on the website and people loved them. And so it kind of created this community of people that even if they don't order, they just read these stories and they write, they give them a chuckle on their way in. We have this like very engaged community of people that actually read our emails because of those stories. And they're really fun for me because they give me a creative outlet and allow me to really get a little weird. And I just have so much fun with them.
0: I'm just going to read a little bit from the story about the prettiest (laughs) red lentil east of the Mississippi. And this is what Sarah wrote earlier this week. This soup is so pretty that you're going to want to dress it up in a little tutu and dance with it around your living room. The colorful seasonal vegetables practically jump out of the bowl of hearty red lentils. They look so perfect, you almost think they're doing a synchronized swimming routine. You'll think to yourself, hey, didn't I see you guys on ESPN4 when I was watching synchronized swimming at 2 a.m.? (laughs) so adorable. How much of a difference, if any, do you think the names of the soups and these stories have made a difference in helping you break through in a crowded food marketplace?
1: It's really interesting. We're actually going through this process right now. So we don't use those soup names. If you see our soups at Whole Foods or something like that, you'll just see hearty lentil butternut squash or something like that. But we're redoing our branding and our labels. And something as simple as changing a soup from lentil butternut squash to like hearty lentil or farmer's market lentil can make a huge difference. There's studies that say if you put on your menu chocolate cake versus grandma's chocolate cake, you'll sell double the amount if you call it grandma's chocolate cake same recipe. So we're actually going through that as we speak. And I think we're going to embrace the funny a little bit more on our new labels, because we're realizing again, this is about us realizing the potential of the brand and the potential of the soups and everything we have to offer. So we're going front and center with those. Oh, so I'll have awesome. to tell you <laughs> to check in with in six months.
0: I will. For sure. So today, Supergirl is almost twelve years old, and as you mentioned a few moments ago, you're in Whole Foods and Wegmans, Peapod, Costco. Is it Little or L- Lidl. Lidl? Lidl. Yes. That's another discount mm-hmm. giant. Mm-hmm. And of course, you also sell direct to consumers on your website, in addition to your two bricks and mortar shops. Mm -hmm. how big of a business is it now, Sarah? How many employees do you have? And what are all your responsibilities today?
1: It's way bigger than we ever imagined. I don't want to go into specific numbers, but it's definitely growing very rapidly. We have over 40 people on payroll, which is very challenging, but I'm very proud to employ that many people. And we treat all of our staff with respect and give them proper benefits and things like that. And my overall goal is to guide the teams towards our mission. What does that mean on a day-to-day basis? It means, unfortunately, a lot of putting out fires and problem solving. But what I'm really trying to do is push the brand forward. And I'm leading the charge on the rebrand and the website overhaul. And fundraising, unfortunately, is a huge part of my job. But really embodying that brand and working on changing our communication to make sure that you know when you're purchasing Supergirl, you understand that you're purchasing more than soup. You're making a statement. You're making a statement that you care about health of yourself and of the planet, of the laborers, of the earths and the animals. And I don't think we're communicating that enough. And so I'm personally trying to make sure that we properly communicate that. And the strange thing is, is I am the brand. So I am Supergirl, like you said in in the introduction. And that is a very, very unique thing we've created. Because, you know, you have like Campbell's or for, for lack of another comparison, no one calls up Campbell's or emails Campbell's and says, dear Mr. Campbell. And we get emails all the time. Hey, Supergirl, blah, 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 blah. And people have this personal connection, which I'm so grateful for
0: because it is me. It is me and my mom behind every suit. So can you take us into a typical day for you? And you say you're in the middle of a rebrand and redoing the website. What is it that kind of keeps you busy from early morning until late at night?
1: Oh, my gosh. There really is no typical day. I know that's so cliche, but Team meetings, meetings with investors, meetings with press, meetings with vendors, meetings with customers, brainstorming sessions, writing sessions, learning, talking to mentors, building marketing plans, working with the marketing team, putting out fires, hopping behind the wheel of the delivery van because the driver's out, making a few deliveries yourself.
0: There is no typical day. Okay. So you (laughs) mentioned meeting with vendors. You are in, among many other stores, the mega grocery store Costco. Mm -hmm. And I heard that you actually had to audition to get in. Is that right? It's an audition. I literally called them. People said, how'd you get into
1: Costco? I called them and went in and met with them and presented our soup. They liked it. They wanted to know if we could pass a food safety audit. At the time, I thought, no problem, because we have impeccable food safety procedures, according to the DC government. But we had no idea what we were getting into. Thank goodness we did it. But it did almost bankrupt us because having a food safety audit, it's very, very, very labor intensive. We were doing things correctly, but the procedures and the recording and the paperwork involved were, we had people walk off the job. That was very challenging. But it also means that we are now have the proper paperwork to go into places like Giant and Lidl without a problem because we now have the correct certifications.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. What, What do you wish you'd known, Sarah, when you started this business a dozen years ago?
1: Honestly, nothing, because if I had known a lot, I think I would have been too scared to do it. And I'm so grateful for it every day. I mean, there are days where I I really am so frustrated and so upset and so angry. But overall, I'm so grateful and excited. And it's an extraordinary amount of work. It's an extraordinary amount of work. There's just no way you could ever describe how much work it is to own a food business. I really can't stress that enough. And I think if I had known that I would have said, that's not worth it. I got to find something else. And I'm very glad that I did this. So I don't regret anything. And I'm very excited about it. There's certainly things I might have done differently. Like I said, been more proactive about hiring and planning and things like that. But overall, I'm very grateful.
0: Do you have any advice for young people who may also be super passionate about building a career around a plant-based or a vegan or a kosher lifestyle?
1: Absolutely. Most people in my position are always happy to answer questions and have coffee and talk on the phone and give advice. And when I was starting this business, I talked to everyone. I apprenticed at a place that made soup in Baltimore. I would go out at four o'clock in the morning and cook soup with this chef who just thought I was neat and thought it was cool to be able to mentor someone. And I I went to free business classes and I read books. There's so many free resources out there, especially with the internet. And in your local jurisdiction, often there's a small business association or there's retired professionals that volunteer to mentor small businesses. But when you figure that out, just start educating yourself. Just start calling people, emailing people, and asking, the worst that'll happen is they'll say no. Okay, who cares?
0: Definitely, for sure. So Sarah, let's flashback very quickly to when you were an undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania, where you majored in American history. You've already said you had no clue what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated. But as you look in the rearview mirror, do you see the dots of your childhood and your career connecting you to where you are today? Yeah,
1: I think you could say that. I always,
0: <laughs> I always took the quote-unquote off-beaten
1: path. I always wanted to do something different than everyone else. I always questioned why people did X when you could do Y. And that started at a very young age. I didn't want to wear the clothes that everybody else wore. And then, I mean, I used to drive my mother insane. She was in high school, took me in for, a, I think, a personality test or a career test because she was so, she's very traditional and she didn't know what to do with me. And so she took me in for this test to try to figure out what I was supposed to be. And I think it was inconclusive, you know? <laughs> so, and I was like, see? So, so it just... I think, you know, if you look at my personality traits, it makes sense that I would do something really bizarre. And once I found whatever it was I was going to do, I was going to dive in wholeheartedly. And until I found that, I wasn't going to be happy. But again, that's me. I don't want people to assume that that my path is the path for everybody. The important thing is that you remember that you get to be alive in 2019, even though things are crazy, or 2020, whenever this there's things are crazy, life is crazy. But if you have your health, you have a brain, and you have a college education, you're just set up for an exciting journey, and embrace it, and be grateful. That's the most important thing, gratitude. That's what I found. Gratitude, for wherever you are, for every morning you wake up, gratitude. That's what keeps me going.
0: Love it. So two final time for coffee questions, Sarah. Can you share a time in your professional life when you really struggled? It may have been during that time where you were trying to get the food safety audit and meet the standards there. May have been another time when you failed. And certainly as a stand-up comic, you're going to have days when you're on, days when you're off, times when your audience is on, times when they're off. How did you persevere? And perhaps if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. There was this
1: period where
0: we were doing a huge weekend event at a Costco. There was a storm
1: coming and we had a temporary delivery driver because my regular guy was in the hospital and the temporary delivery guy crashed the van. The sales at the Costco event weren't going the way we wanted them to. And we had nobody to drive the van after we had to pay $2,000 in repairs immediately And I was exhausted after working five days straight at this event. But we had to get the deliveries done because sales were eh And this storm was coming, which meant we could recover because people want soup before a storm. And so even though I could barely see straight, I got it done. I drove the delivery van the next day for 12 hours, made it back in time before the storm. We got the van repaired. My team came together. Everyone came together. And I learned, A, to rely on my team because when you allow them to step up, they will and they'll surprise you. And that was a big learning moment. And also, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. We're just going to do it. We're not going to let this ship sink as a team. And it's those moments throughout the years where the team has come together to do whatever it takes to get it done. It's an amazing feeling.
0: As I listen to you share your, your incredible story, Sarah, one thing comes up over and over again, and it's just your incredible grit. How important do you think that's been to... Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I played sports in high school, and people always called me short and scrappy. And I like that. I like that I kind of still think of Supergirl as short and scrappy. Like on the basketball court, I really love basketball and I'm short, but I developed good ball handling skills so I could get around the tall people. I think it's enormously important for in the food business. You have to be able to problem solve and you have to believe. If you don't believe and you have as as many obstacles as you're going to have, you can't imagine all the obstacles in the food business. You cannot. And if you don't believe and have that grit, And be short and scrappy, you're not gonna make it. But you have to make it if you believe in it. Or you at least have to go down
0: fighting. Fight like hell. So, Sarah, if you could go back to the University of Pennsylvania and do it all over again, but based on the scrappy wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Enjoy. Stop stressing. Be grateful. That's the key that I have now that I wish I had had then. I wouldn't have changed anything on my journey because it all got me to where I am today. And maybe some of the angst and that stress got me here, but I wish I hadn't spent so much, although regret gets you nowhere. But spending time stressing out, freaking out, it's not worth it. If you just focus on gratitude to help get you through those rough times and help you focus, you're gonna end up stronger and you're gonna end up more focused. I truly believe that gratitude is so essential to finding your path
0: in your day-to-day happiness. Yes, your mental health for Mm -hmm. sure. Sarah, her business is called Supergirl. If you want to learn how to break into the food business, please check out the show notes for this episode to see if her Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. And before I say goodbye to you, Sarah, can you share very quickly with our listeners what your soup cleanse is and how our listeners can sign up for it?
1: Yep, it's now actually called super meals. And it's because it's a quote unquote cleanse. We don't believe in detox or anything like that. We believe in feeding people basically what your doctor says you should be eating a lot of plant based protein, fiber, a lot of vegetables, not a lot of salt, sugar, and fat. And you'll find that if you eat food like that, you end up eating less because you're satiated with less food. So like if you eat lentils, black beans, and things like that, and greens, you fill up your body with fiber and protein. And it takes your body a really long time to digest that food. So you're not hungry as much. And if you're not hungry as much, you're not going to eat as much. You're going to end up maybe shedding a little bit of that maybe extra pound or two you want and your cholesterol might go down. The results vary from person to person, but they're pretty incredible. So we offer a 12 pack and a 24 pack. So a three day program or five day program you can follow our program, or you can just use the soups as meal substitutions. I hate to say substitutions because they are meals, but you can eat them for lunch or dinner instead of cooking a big steak or a bowl of pasta. And just watch what happens. Go to supergirl.com and click on the Super Meals page, and you're going to start getting healthy with your first delivery.
0: Awesome. What a great way to start 2020. I think so. <laughs> Sarah believes in her heart and soul in the power of food to change the world. I will second that notion. Sarah, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee with me and the Time for Coffee community. Congratulations on all that you've achieved, and I have no doubt will continue to achieve, not just in 2020, but in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a real honor. This was a lot of fun.